Hello and welcome to St. Giles to Word for the Week. We're journeying through the book of Revelation and today we are looking at Revelation chapter 2 and here we have Jesus addressing the churches, Jesus giving messages to his disciple John to pass on to each of the churches and John receives these in a vision of the ascended Christ. Um, this morning we're going to look at two of these messages, the message to the church in Ephesus and then the message to the church in Smyrna and consider their relevance for us today. And we're going to begin by hearing God's word read by David Suchet as he reads the letter to the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 8. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus is addressing his message to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city. It was one of the five largest cities in the Roman Empire. Um, it was known for its loyalty to Rome and also for its great temples. It had a number of temples there, um, the largest of which was the temple to Artemis, um, the Roman goddess known as Diana. Uh, this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a temple that was 130 meters wide, 70 meters deep. It had 127 columns, each 18 meters high. It was an absolutely massive uh, temple and it dominated the life of the city. Uh, pilgrims and tourists would come to uh, visit the, the temple and to pay their respects to the goddess Artemis and to offer prayers uh, for the emperor there. You can read the story of the church being founded there by Priscilla and Aquila in Acts chapter 17. And then in Acts chapter 18, you read of the riot that ensues when Paul, uh, the apostle, visits the church and begins teaching there. Uh, the riot is stirred up by silversmith uh, Demetrius, a man who made little uh, statues of the goddess Artemis, who made little models of the temple and sold these to pilgrims and tourists. And he doesn't want any foreign religion uh, taking a hold in the city, lest his um, business uh, be affected. So Ephesus was a difficult place to be a Christian. Uh, they were a small minority religious group uh, dominated uh, in a city dominated by the worship of other gods. They were seen as uh, traitorous uh, to the empire of Rome. And Jesus um, has these words of commendation to the church there. 
He says, I know of your deeds, your perseverance, your endurance. I know you don't tolerate wickedness or false teaching. I know you hate the practices and the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which were a heretical group. Remember, Jesus knows his church and he loves his church. And he commends them here for their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy. Orthodoxy meaning uh, right belief. Uh, the Ephesian Christians, they believe the right things. They know their Lord and they uh, trust him and they honour him in true belief. And they show orthopraxy. They're living in the right way. Uh, presumably they're serving the poor. They're witnessing to their neighbours. Uh, they are caring for one another. And yet there is a challenge for this church. The Lord Jesus says this, I hold this against you, that you have forsaken the love you had at first. And scholars love to debate what love this was. And there's a, a divide basically between those scholars who think, well, uh, this is love for the Lord, uh, which the church is losing. Or, <clears throat> excuse me, or um, this is love for one another, which the church is losing. Well, if you read John's letters, John 1, 2 and 3, you'll realise that there can't really be too much of a distinction drawn between these two loves. Um, those who truly love the Lord will show that in loving one another and love for one another will be fired by a devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says you are losing the love you had at first. And there will be a consequence uh, to losing this love. He says, I will remove the lampstand from within your midst. What he means there is his presence will leave them. It's possible to have a church that believes all the right things, that does all the right things, yet has lost the presence of Jesus, has lost the Holy Spirit in her midst. The Ephesian church is in danger of losing their way. They're commended for their patient endurance and for their discernment, but they are becoming hard-hearted. So what does Jesus do? Well, he directs their gaze upwards and ahead. He says this, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The Lord Jesus directs their gaze to the prize of eternal life, uh, directs their gaze away from their concerns for this world and look ahead to the next world. Jesus offers the hope of eternal life and he warns of eternal death uh, to each of these churches. He gives words here of reassurance and affirmation. Remember, Jesus still holds the stars in his right hand. He's still present among his people. He, Jesus warns them. Uh, protecting themselves and each other from exhaustion and error is only of value if they're protecting their relationship of love with their Lord and with one another. The consequences of his judgment are serious. He'll remove his presence from them he will take away his Holy Spirit. Yet they're not without hope. There is an invitation to repentance. 
Repent and do those things you did at first, the Lord Jesus says to the Ephesian Christians. Uh, Turn around, uh, change direction, uh, put things right. And their relationship with their Lord and their relationship with one another will be restored and he'll remain in their midst. The Holy Spirit will remain in their fellowship. There's a reminder here to all of us that we need to keep short accounts with God. All relationships need maintenance, they need work. Every uh, relationship at times will take a wrong turn. We can head in the wrong direction. Sometimes we just sleepwalk into disaster. There's a word here from the Lord to his church that we need to wake up. There's an invitation to turn afresh to the Lord who is in their midst and in our midst. To turn afresh to him, to trust afresh in him, to receive a new hope and a new vision for the future. There is still time for the Ephesian Christians and those who follow in their footsteps, you and I, to put things right and to be restored to full relationship with our Lord, who loves us and graciously cares for us and invites us to trust afresh in him. That's the lesson for the church in Ephesus, and now we turn our attention to the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. That was Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. The church in Smyrna. Where was Smyrna? Well, Smyrna um, was 50 miles north of Ephesus. Um, The city's now uh, been overtaken by what's known as modern-day Izmir, Uh, Smyrna was also on the coast. If you visit Izmir, you can see uh, the ruins of Smyrna. Um, Smyrna was famous for two things. Uh, The trading of myrrh. Remember gold, frankincense and myrrh. Well, it's likely the myrrh could have come from Smyrna. And also their loyalty to Rome. Like Ephesus, they were fiercely loyal uh, to Rome and the Roman Empire. Smyrna was known as the crown of Asia. It was a beautiful place to live. Uh, Real estate was desirable there. It had a magnificent stadium. It was uh, famous for their games. Think of the Olympic Games, uh, that type of thing happening there. It had a renowned library. It was a center for learning and the arts. Um, It had a huge theater. And uh, patrons of the city would uh, patronise, they would support the arts, the theatre and the library. Life there was good, unless, of course, you were a Christian. At the time of John's vision, Christians are undergoing persecution in various parts of the Roman Empire. And one of those parts where the church is suffering is in Smyrna. This letter is unique 
amongst the letters that Jesus addresses to his seven churches. It's the shortest letter. And it's also the only letter along with the, the letter to the church in Philadelphia that contains no words of correction, just words of exhortation and encouragement. We see here the pastoral heart, the care of the Lord Jesus for his people. To those who are undergoing persecution, those who are undergoing the hardest time, there's no words of uh, discipline, uh, just simple words of warning and encouragement. The challenge for the church in Smyrna was the challenge to remain faithful in the midst of hardship. This church is commended for remaining faithful to her Lord. Jesus writes to them as the one who is the first and the last, the one who died and is alive. And that honorific is important. Think about it, all of the teachers, all of the authors, uh, they live, they write, and then they die. Jesus has died, he lives again, and now he writes to his churches. His words are sobering. Jesus warns them of the persecution to come. Do not be afraid to suffer, he says. Already they're being slandered, this will move to them being imprisoned. For some, they will die. There is a note of hope here. This will happen uh, for 10 days. Doesn't mean a literal 10 days, but rather means that this persecution will in fact be time limited. It won't go on forever. It will draw to an end. There's no promise of respite here. The Lord Jesus, he doesn't say it will all work out in the end. But there's no criticism of this church. There's uh, not judgment. The persecution isn't a result of anything that they have done wrong. Indeed, though they consider themselves poor, Jesus says you are rich. There's no sense here of Jesus having a wonderful plan for your life. He was always honest about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him. Take up your cross and follow me, the Lord Jesus said. And of course, the cross was an instrument of torture, a means of death. In this life, you will have trouble, he said. A day is coming when people will drag you out of the synagogue and drag you out of the marketplace and bring you before judges. Those days are coming to the Smyrna church. There is a twisted version of the gospel that declares if you come to Christ, you'll be happy, wealthy and healthy. Think how strange that would seem to the Smyrna Christians. We need to reject that false gospel. We do not follow Christ because of what we get out of it, the benefits we receive, although, of course, there are multiple benefits of following the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the best way to live. Indeed, it is the life we are called to live. We don't follow Jesus because of what we get out of it. We follow him because of who he is. And when we see who he truly is, then we can do no other but lay our lives down before him, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We follow the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And he reveals to us the way to live, uh, the truth of life 
and he gifts us with life eternal. There is a promise here for the church in Smyrna and for all who trust in Christ, even to the point of death. They will be victorious. They will not be hurt by the second death. They'll receive the crown of life. That imagery would be familiar to the Smyrna Christians. Um, it's an allusion to the games that took place in the city. In those games, the victors uh, would receive a crown, a laurel wreath they would place upon their heads. It was a sign that they had been victorious in their race or their fight, their competition. Jesus says, you who uh, persevere to the end, you who remain faithful to the end, you'll receive a crown of life. As Christians, we speak a lot about life after death. Uh, Jesus here warns of death after death, the second death. But he promises that those who are faithful will escape from that death. These are hard words for us to hear today, but they're a reminder to us, uh, particularly those of us who live in the uh, West, lives of relevant, uh, relative uh, peace and affluence, that there is a significant cost to following Jesus. We might know it in different ways from our diff uh, brothers and sisters around the world. Um, we might know some sort of uh, social ostracism, uh, ostracism, can't say that word, uh, some embarrassment at dinner parties. We might uh, find that people look on us strangely, those of us who name the name of Christ. Um, but we're unlikely to be imprisoned. We're unlikely to have our businesses taken away from us. We're unlikely um, to have um, opportunities uh, denied us or to um, find ourselves thrown into prison or to be killed. Not so for many of our brothers and sisters around the world. Christians in northern Nigeria uh, suffer the depredations or depredations of Boko Haram. Uh, Christians in the southern uh, Philippines in Mindanao uh, know um, the danger of witnessing to Christ in areas where um, Abu Sayyaf could come and kill you at any moment. Christians in the Middle East in some areas have to be quiet about their faith and their church is hidden and secret. Just recently, a pastor was sentenced to uh, 500 lashes uh, for his uh, witnessing to Christ. It's forbidden to be a Christian in North Korea. It's dangerous in India, in Pakistan, and in China. I could go on. Uh, one charity that I support is Open Doors, and they keep a great record of um, uh, the persecution the church is undergoing and invites Christians to pray for the church and to support the church wherever they can. These churches that I've described today that um, the Lord Jesus writes to uh, were situated in Asia Minor, now in modern day Turkey. And there is still a church in Turkey and it's still a small church, a humble church, a church which endures many hardships. But Jesus is still at work in the church. He still guards her. He's still in her midst. Um, he's still causing her to grow. And by his grace, men, women and children are still finding faith in Jesus. I'm going to close by showing a video of um, Acts 29 of a Christian, um, a Christian leader there who um, came to faith and has now been called into the ministry. 
as we watch this video, video, let's like the Ephesian Christians be reminded of the faith that we first had at the beginning and renew our trust in Christ and pray for his struggling church around the world. I never grew up in a religious atmosphere, but because of the school, I memorized all the Arabic prayers. I lost my uncle and I loved him dearly and that really affected me in thinking about the Creator and um, that really led me into the um, bit of darkness. I was young, I mean 10, 11 years old, but I was thinking how a loving God can make my uncle die. After that I became an atheist and um, for a long time uh, I said the question, uh, if there was God exists. I was trying to become a mountain climber during my um, teenager ages. I wanted to be a professional mountain climber. So one day I was climbing up in the mountain and I was trying to climb from the north face of this mountain. I, uh, I fall down in a cliff and I, I cut everywhere in my body and um, it was messy and bloody and that hurts a lot and I, I started getting hypothermia, um, lost everything in my back. I was already hurting so much and um, so cold and I thought that I was dying there. So I started to pray the first time in my life. I didn't know what to say, but I was like, if you are there, that's the perfect time to help. It was about 10, 15 minutes past. I did not see anything or felt anything or hear anything, but I just have an assurance in my heart that I was not alone up there in that mountain. Praise Lord, I survived that mountain and I climbed down and there were some people to help me there. So a couple of weeks later, I started to ask deeper questions and start to search about many religions. And they were pretty simple, pretty close to one another. They were all talking about how, what kind of man I should be to be get saved. And, and, and that did not really give me a peace because it's like everybody's saying same thing so I can't I don't need a religion for that I can be just a good guy why would I need those religions and one day I just show up to the to the church I went there and asked him asked this pastor questions it's like and he answered me and and I heard the first time the gospel there it was not about me it was about him who created us it was about him who died for us on the cross. That was amazing. That was so refreshing. They just, I, I did not come to Christ right away, but it's take the weight off from my back. So it's okay. Like, I know I, I'm really bad guy. I cannot do so much to save myself. A couple days later, I came back and there was a service Thursday night and um, my, my heart just crashed. I started to cry and uh, gave, gave my life to Christ. Actually, I was like a believer for 10 days. I knew that Lord was leading me into something. I did not know, I did not even know what deacon or pastor is at the time. I'm just, this hit my first Sunday basically. Like, I'm just honored to be able to preach the gospel in this land. I'm, I mean, I'm just an unworthy man before the Lord, and He just honors me to proclaim His gospel. Who am I to follow the steps of Paul after he left. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about me, it's about him, it's about Christ.